Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Road to Ivy Madness. And then there was one, only one Ivy undefeated team left across the board in the men's or women's side of things. It's the Princeton women's basketball team, the lone remaining undefeated Ivy Hoop squad after sweeping the weekend from Cornell and Columbia. On the men's side, no undefeated teams left after Princeton and Yale both dropped conference games for the first time this year. We've got tons to talk about today. With former Princeton Tiger Noah Savage, former Cornell Big Red Megan Perry, I'm Bill Spalding. It's going to be a blast. we got more back-to-backs coming up this week. I'm telling you, there's some serious parody in the Ivy League as well, so plenty to dive into. This is going to be maybe the craziest race to Ivy Madness that we've had so far. It's going to be all kinds of fun. Uh, coming up today, we'll look back to last weekend. We'll look ahead to some of the biggest games of this week as well. And as always, we'll give you uh, what we think you should be talking about around the water cooler this week. Time for our headlines coming out of the weekend. Megan, let's start with you. Yeah, big weekend for Ivy League basketball. And I thought the home court story dominated uh, the theme for this past weekend's competition. Harvard, Princeton, and Penn all took care of their home court, um, all claimed two wins this weekend. And the reason, I think that's the reason why they've kind of moved up into the rankings and things are starting to become a little bit clearer as we head closer to Ivy Madness. Yeah, got to defend home court in the Ivy League. All right, Noah, your headline? Well, I got to say, like, the, the league is heating up, and it's so many close games. I mean, it's it's absolutely breathtaking to watch one-point games down to the wire, big calls, swinging momentum. I mean, just think about what Harvard's been through the last three games where every game it just gives you a heart attack, and it's kind of what we expected, and it's just heating up as we head down to Ivy Madness. All right, when we come back, it'll be Megan and me breaking things down on the women's side of things. No, we'll be back in a bit to talk men's basketball. That's as we continue here on the Road to Ivy Madness. Megan Perry with me, Bill Spaulding, talking Ivy women's hoops. And uh, let, let's start with the team that continues to dominate things. And it is Princeton, particularly Princeton's defense. Tigers go 2-0 and on the weekend. They beat Columbia and Cornell. How about their game against Cornell? They win 60 to 29 on Friday. They held the big red to just 15% shooting. That's a one and a five, 15% for the entire game and forced 26 turnovers. One of the best defensive performances we've seen ever in the Ivy League. I mean, my goodness, you know, I, I have to say Princeton was outstanding this past weekend. Let's start first that Princeton has the number one scoring def- I mean, excuse me, the number one scoring defense in the country. Okay, they hold teams to 48 points per game or less. Um, And they really flexed, I think, on the defensive end this past weekend. I was so impressed when looking at this game and going back and checking the numbers. I mean, Princeton held Cornell for three quarters. Cornell did not break into double digits. I mean, that's a feat in itself. Um, And on top of that, you know, Cornell didn't score a basket in the entire second quarter. And, you know, Princeton, they are just such a well-oiled machine. They talk well, their length. I mean, just uh, they're playing man to man. I have to tell you that as well. It's not like they're sitting back in a zone and just like swatting shots away. They are straight up one on one man to man defense. And you got to respect that. They are just getting the job done. Yeah. And they, they play remarkable defense. And it's not like you said, it's not a passive defense. It's a super aggressive get out on you defense that doesn't just make shots difficult. Again, they force a lot of turnovers. They force 26 in that game, and that's twofold. Not only are you taking points off the board for your opponent, but but Princeton gets a lot of runouts and fast breaks off the turnovers they force as well. They sure do, and that has a reason to do with, like, I think, you know, with how fluid the Princeton offense really is. Um, but on the other side of things, if you're going up against Princeton, you can't afford to have 
these large scoring scoring droughts. And I do attribute it to the Princeton defense. But also, I mean, on the other end, my Cornell Big Red, you got to find a way to put the ball in the basket. You can't go, I think it was 16 minutes in the game without scoring a bucket. I mean, that is almost unheard of. Um, you know, not a formula for success at all. But, you know, shout out to the Princeton defense because they were phenomenal. And then the, the next night against Columbia, a game played at a much faster pace. Uh, Princeton showed they can win that way as well. Tigers got off to a really hot start on offense. Uh, they end up scoring 77 to win 77-55. And their uh, their big experienced duo, Bella Allery and Cardley Littlefield, combined for 43 points. Allery scores 24, Littlefield 19. And, uh, you know, 55 points allowed is well over their season average, but is still a really good performance against a Columbia team that likes to play at much more of a sprinter's pace. Oh, it absolutely is. I mean, and you said Bella Allery and Carly Littlefield, 24 points and 19 points, respectively. I mean, they pretty much took over this game. But I think what stood out to me about Princeton is how well they're playing early. Princeton leaves no room for mistakes early on in the game. I mean, they come out um, like on the door like gangbusters and they don't look back and with a team like Columbia who has so many different offensive weapons um, the problem is you cannot play from behind when you're competing against Princeton you have to have a strong start and unfortunately uh, Columbia was not able to keep up with them early yeah you're right that, that's so important because uh, you know when you're an underdog going up against a team that's been as dominant as Princeton has this year you just you want to hang around early and start to build that belief and, and Princeton just doesn't let teams hang around they're, they're out to double digit leads often by the end of the first quarter and uh, big leads by halftime in almost every single Ivy League game so far and, and then they're clearly not a team that that is built for you to come back on them because they just don't about many points. It's so it's incredible what what this what this team is doing and how they've kind of crafted. I mean, Co- Coach Carla Baruby, we talk about yes, there was a foundation set here before she arrived, but what she's doing um, with what I like to call like the Maserati, she didn't crash the Maserati. Like she's making it better. She's fine tuning it. Um, and with with a team like Princeton, it's it's something like I think mental for teams. Once you you see how good they are, right? They pass the eye test, but once you get down, I think it's mental. And you don't really believe you can come back and win. It's almost like Princeton has mentally defeated some teams before they come onto the floor. Like people are competing, but they are not. Um, they do not have that killer instinct and mentality that Princeton has. Meanwhile, the reason Princeton's the only undefeated team left in the Ivy on the women's side is because the Yale Bulldogs lose for the first time. They fall to Harvard 66-57. And I think this game was exactly how Harvard needs to win big games this year. This is a, a different Harvard team than some years past where they were trying to outscore you. This this Harvard team, we've talked about it. If they're going to win, they're going to win with good defense and dominant play on the interior. And it's hard to be better on the glass than Harvard was in this game. They out-rebounded Yale 50 to 27. That's a plus 23 margin led by 19 rebounds from Rachel Levy. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. We always talk about rebounding and defense wins championships and Harvard just grinded it out. And I thought the difference that I saw in this game was that um, Harvard became a little bit more physical with Yale. Like they slowed the game down a little bit, able to kind of muck it up, if you will, um, and mix it up on the inside. And so um, I thought that that was truly effective in slowing Yale down, obviously. And then the grind on the boards, you know, what comes with that, um, that's a recipe for success uh, for Harvard. And I was happy to see them kind of get back to the identity that that we know them by, right, to kind of grind it out and be so strong inside. Yeah, Yale shot just 36 percent. That's a team that's been shooting close to 50 percent. Of course, Ivy League play, they made just four three-pointers over the course of the game due to Harvard's defense. And then Harvard got enough scoring once again from their first year, Lola Mullaney, who has kind of been the bell cow on offense 
not looking like a freshman. She, she scored 19 in her first rivalry game against the Bulldogs. Yeah, I mean, Lola Mullaney, 19 points. Yeah, obviously no small speed for her, but showing uh, very early on, I guess I can even say early on, now that we're into Ivy play, like almost at least halfway through, I think. Um, don't quote me on that, but uh, we're deep into it. And she has really shown the poise and composure and a leadership um, that's veteran-like. Um, and and also shout out to Rachel Levy. Her play, she played so well. We talked about rebounding uh, for this Harvard team, 19 rebounds. I mean, so close to... Um, you know, that magical 20 number. Um, she had an incredible weekend. So this Harvard team starting to figure it out and gel, I think, just at the right time. And Coach Kathy Delaney-Smith always seems to figure out how to get it done. I'll give you like a, a soft B on halfway. We're at six games through 14. So it's so almost there, almost there. Friday night will be everybody's halfway outside of Princeton and Penn who've played one game less than, than everybody else's to play again at the end of the season. Speaking of Penn, it was a really important week for the Quakers, uh, you know, Penn had, had gotten off to the slow start this year, but, you know, everyone gets off to a slow start when they play Princeton at the start of Ivy League play. Uh, but they've bounced back strong. They've won three league games in a row, including a uh, sweep of Columbia and Cornell. And I think we need to focus on that Columbia-Penn game because that may have been the game of the weekend. 86-84 overtime win for the Quakers on Friday. Uh, and it was a breakout game from Alea Parker, whose scoring numbers had been down this year. She scored 28 points and had 13 rebounds to carry Penn to that shootout victory. Yeah, that was this was a huge game in Ivy League play, specifically for Penn, because we talked about before, kind of starting to question, okay, what's going on with Penn? Are they going to be able to climb out what seemed like to be a little bit of an early hole? And they answered I think the that question um, with with a large cry of like yes we will because they have the tools to do so and they proved it um, they were able to come out and get the win in overtime against a very very feisty Columbia team um, and Kayla Padilla who would not necessarily um, let her team down she she provided that compliment on the perimeter to Leah Parker's dominating performance on the inside and. Penn really looked like they got back to themselves and possibly I think this game could be a turning point for them um, as we continue into conference play. They seem to have a little bit of that confidence and that swagger back. Um, so I have my eye on Penn. Well, we talk about teams who look a little different this year compared to past years based on personnel. We've mentioned that with Harvard, maybe not quite as much of a, a, a team that's looking for shootouts as past years. They're playing more defense and rebounding. Meanwhile, maybe the way this Penn team is going to win games this year is, is not necessarily the, the grinded out defensive games that we're used to from the Quakers. They've got the scoring power between Padilla, who's having a superstar freshman season, uh, Parker, a couple other good shooters on this team. This is a Quaker team that can, that can score as they showed with their uh, 86 against Columbia. So, so it, it might be uh a, a different way to win games this year, but obviously Mike McLaughlin's a heck of a coach. He knows how to tailor his team and his strategy to the personnel that he has. Yeah, and he has done that. You know, hey, you know, sometimes the game is simple, right? You got to score more points than the other team. Kayla Padilla, she is doing that. Get her the ball, right? Continue to get her touches. And I think this team will continue to find success. All right, so here's where we are. Six games into Ivy League play for most teams, five for Penn and Princeton. It, it's Pretty tight. The the Tigers at five and zero, oh, Yale at five and one, and then Harvard at four and two. Those are your top three. Then it's Penn at three and two, uh, holding that fourth and final spot right now. Quakers at three and two are a game and a half up on Columbia and Cornell, who are both two and four. Brown and Dartmouth are each one and five. As the uh, Bears got themselves on the board with a, a victory over the Big Green this weekend, so good to see Brown and their long Ivy League uh, losing streak. And we'll see if this gets uh, Sarah Bain's team really cruising. 
uh, toward the second half of the season. Let's let's talk next week as we move into the second half of the season. Uh, biggest game of the weekend's probably coming Friday, 6 p.m. when Princeton and Yale go head to head. Tigers five and zero, Bulldogs five and one. You know, obviously this Princeton team defensively has been just silly good, and in their thirteen game win streak, they've given up just forty three points per game. How does Yale's big four, led by Roxy Berriman and Camila Emsbo, but but four really capable scorers, how do they try to stretch Princeton and find a way to have more scoring success against them? I think that Yale has to continue to be aggressive in their offensive attack. And we've talked about the balance of what they have on offense. They have to have balance. But I think also their offensive attack, they have to literally get into the paint. They can't settle for three-point shots. It's so nice. The game's flowing. It's all easy when the threes are dropping. But against a team like Princeton, I mean, they are going to take away what you do well, right? They're they're not the top scoring defense in the nation for no reason. And I think that Yale's going to have to find, like, the second and third option um, to get the job done to put the ball in the basket. And I'd like to see them be more aggressive getting to the paint, tacking the rim, um, and, and really kind of like getting Princeton back on their heels as opposed to having Princeton dictate to them. Another big game for Yale come the next night against Penn. I think for Yale, if they can get out of this weekend winning one of two and solidifying second place, they'll feel like they've made a pretty good statement about what they're going to be this year. Uh, another game I have my eye on is Harvard-Columbia. We just mentioned Columbia's had a couple really tight losses lately, and they're, they're a game and a half out of the Ivy Madness Uh, positioning now so they really need to to win a lot of games down the stretch they can't afford to let too many more close ones slip away I think it's gonna be a good one because two teams playing really different Harvard's dominated the glass a big size advantage against Columbia but Columbia's probably going to try and put the pedal to the metal and 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 push uh the the crimson in this game I think you're right in this game for me Bill it's a total toss-up because uh to tell you the truth Columbia has so much and they're being coached so well what coach Megan Griffin is doing with this team um I see them like taking steps forward you know with each win and, and really with each loss um, that's come their way. And you just never really know what you're going to get. Columbia has an awesome scoring power. And if we see that Columbia team that puts the offense first, I think that it could be possibly even a runaway uh, against Harvard. But then Coach Kathy Delaney-Smith has her team focused on defense and rebounding. Um, and we know what that has done <laughs> for Harvard, just the evidence by last week. And so who knows? Uh, but I think I think for Columbia, the key is they got to play with pace and tempo. And for Harvard, they got to continue to dominate the glass and follow follow Jeannie Bayman's side. Yeah, I think the key to beating Harvard or scoring a lot on Harvard is is running the floor to the point where you beat Jeannie Bame down the floor. Don't let Jeannie Bame get set up in the center because I know we've talked about her a lot this year, but there is not a rim protector like her in in the Ivy League. So if if, if Harvard gets its defense set and you have Bain kind of helping off in the middle on anybody who's driving in, there's just not a lot of room to score in there. It's hard to get good, high-quality shots inside. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that scattering report. I think that's so true. And and especially, I'll just say, as a former big, you know, you want to be anchored down inside. You want to protect the rim. But when an offense forces you to move and shift, possibly go out to the perimeter, challenge maybe some people that can stretch the floor and shoot that three-point shot, that changes the dynamics a bit. So uh, for Coach, I think for, not, excuse me, not for Coach, but for Jeannie Bame, it's all about positioning. Can she maintain her positioning on the inside or will Columbia stretch her and force her out of her comfort zone? All right, going to be a really fun weekend. Looking forward to all these games as the Ivy Madness playoff picture continues to kind of take shape. Megan and I will have our eyes on it. We'll break everything down next week. Coming up next, Noah Savage will jump back in and we'll shift our focus to men's hoops here on the road to Ivy Madness. 
All right, Noah Savage back in with me, Bill Spaulding, here on the road to Ivy Madness. We turn from the women's side to the men's side, where we had some really exciting games over the weekend. Two of them featuring Harvard, one a Harvard win, one a Harvard loss. And that Harvard win is the reason why Yale is no longer undefeated in Ivy League play as Harvard hangs on for a 78-77 win. Noah, that game was crazy. Harvard built a big lead. Yale came all the way back with Azar Swain. Azar Swain had a chance for a four-point play that would have tied the game, missed the free throw, uh, but that shouldn't write off what was a tremendous game from Azar Swain. He was awesome in the second half, and that was maybe the best game in the Ivy League so far this year. Yeah, and you know what? Number one, shout-out to all the fans who came out and made it an unbelievable atmosphere, high-major-type feel. I mean, the, the student section was rocking. The game was exciting. And Azar Swain, like I've been trying to warn the rest of the league about this, He's a bad dude, okay? And he hasn't been shooting the ball, in my opinion, up to his capability. He, he's been shooting about 30% from three. When he shoots the ball, he can. I mean, the way he can, this is what he does. 33 points, making shots from everywhere, off the dribble game, great pull-up game, and the heroics. That shot was one of the best shots I've seen in my time covering the league and in my time as a player. That was absolutely outrageous and phenomenal, and this lived up to what Harvard and Yale uh, has, has become, has always been, but especially in the last 10 years or so, what this rivalry is all about. Yeah, he ended up with 33 points, 27 in the second half, and a big reason why Yale down 13 with 5.02 to go, almost got back into that game. Uh you know, let's talk about how Harvard got it to that point, though, how Harvard built that lead. And uh, it starts with Noah Kirkwood, who played really well. And I think then from there, you go to the scoring depth. They got double figures from Kirkwood, Danilo Juricic, Christian Juzang, and Robert Baker in that game. Yeah, and you know what? You got to give credit to Harvard for holding them off. But we, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about that review. And I'm not trying to kill the officials because they did their job and they got the call right. That's what they have to do. But I know as a shooter – when you hit a four-point play like that, a potential four-point play, to wait four-plus minutes to shoot the free throw is tough. We must mention that. I'm not trying to take anything away from Harvard and what they did. And, and the officials did the right thing according to the rule, but that was just a long review. Okay, the number, one, the number two thing was both teams' shot blocking really showed up, Bill. Both teams not only were blocking shots at a high rate, People were looking over their shoulders, whether it was Robert Baker or whether it was Jordan Bruner or Paul Atkinson or Chris Lewis. The shot blocking was so huge in this game in terms of how people played, especially down the stretch. And the third point I want to make is I've been talking about free throws all year long and Harvard missing free throws opened up that door for Yale to get back in but they left nine free points on the table in this game. Yeah, they, they missed a bunch late, but you got you do have to tip your hat to Christian Juzang, who made four big ones in that final minute to, to kind of help Harvard at least keep Yale at bay a bit. Uh, you know, the other thing that I think is weird as this sounds in a game where you give up 77 and you, you, you let a guy go for 33, Harvard's defense was pretty good outside of Azar Swain and then Paul Atkinson. You know, we generally talk about Yale's scoring depth, but in that game, Yale got 61 from Swain and Atkinson. They combined for 61 points, but nobody else on the team scored more than six, and the rest of the team as a whole combined for only 16. So they didn't let any of those guys like Matthew Cotton or, or other players we've seen come off the bench and make big impacts for Yale. They didn't let those guys come off and, and get off in the game. Yeah, and if you think about it, Yale only made seven three-point shots, and five of them were Azar Swain. So you, you kind of did a good job guarding. 
in terms of the three-point line, except for, of course, number five, who just absolutely set the world on fire. But the other thing, why this game was so impressive, Bill, look at the passing. I mean, both teams did such a spectacular job of sharing the basketball. 17 assists for Yale, 23 assists for Harvard. I mean, Christian Juzang had nine assists. The, the, the guy was a huge, huge reason why Harvard played so well. But it's, it's a game where you just felt like there shouldn't have been a loser. Both teams played so well, and it made it feel like it was uh, a high major game, one of the most exciting games of the entire college basketball season. Yeah, so Yale loses for the first time. They bounce back, beat Dartmouth on Saturday. Harvard finally got that close win, but then it was right back to that bad luck in close games for Harvard on Saturday night. Crimson lose 72-71 to Brown on Tom and Ang Show's buzzer beating three-point play inside the final second. Harvard has three conference losses by a total of five points. They've really had a hard time. Even that Yale game had a hard time closing out close games at the end. Yeah, and you know what? First, we got to start with... Uh, Brandon Anderson made one of the best plays I've seen all year when he leapt over Harvard's bench, he made a save. He almost hit a spectator and that kind of is indicative of what the Ivy league is. It's just been spectacular. It's been over the top at times. It's been exciting, but again, the, the drive late, if you're Robert Baker, that's a really tough call bill. And, and I don't know if they're going to use me talking about the officials. I'm not trying to kill the officials. I'm just saying that I've been in that situation as Harvard. Brown did a great job late in the game. You want to go to the bucket. You want to force that foul. But but that was tough, number one. But Brown played great. They got it done at home. And whether it was Anderson, Hunsaker stepping up big, and then Tominang Cho, his ability to be versatile inside, outside, 17 points and six rebounds, he was able to get it done uh, big time for the Brown Bears. But I really thought Robert Baker played well for the Crimson over the weekend, you know, letting his scoring show up, letting his length and his three-point shooting show up, hitting three threes against the Brown Bears. But this is what, you know, you say, well, why did one team beat another team, Bill? The league is so good that you're going to be able to point to four or five possessions that will separate who makes it to Ivy Madness and who wins the league. It's that tight of a league, you know, you, you might not even get the quote unquote four best teams in. It's about who plays the best in the big moments. So you got to be so good and you got to be so clutch in this league. And again, yeah, who wins the close games? Because Harvard could just as easily be six and zero right now. Instead, they're they're three and three, uh, and, and they, they've just struggled and had some bad luck in these close games to win them at the end. Uh, meanwhile, if, if we expand on Brown a bit here. After that 0-2 start against Yale, that's four straight wins. They beat Columbia and Cornell last week. They beat Harvard and Dartmouth this week. All of a sudden, they're in position for Ivy Madness, and they're a team at the start of the year that we thought would be in position, led by guys like Brandon Anderson and Tom and Cho. They're really playing good basketball down in Providence right now. Yeah, and Zach Hunsaker, who's been one of the best leaders of all time in their program, just the fact that he was able to bang those two threes really opens it up inside Jalen Ganey, getting more opportunities Joshua Howard on the interior. And then when you get key contributions, especially on the defensive end from David Mitchell, Dan Friday, it was just a balanced attack. They went a little bit deeper to their bench and and you have to do that because Harvard is so balanced and so unselfish that you just don't know 
who's going to step up big for them. Hunsaker is a really big key. You mentioned his leadership, but yeah, if, if he's starting to shoot it like he can because he started the season pretty slow, especially in Ivy League play, if he starts to shoot it consistently here, you're right. That makes them so dynamic and so much harder to to stop and will open up the driving lanes for, for Anderson. Uh, all right, let's move on to Princeton. Tigers lose in conference for the first time. They got off to a really slow start, a game that was postponed uh, about – 15 16 hours due to snow and lose to cornell 73 62 they only scored 22 first half points fell behind by 13 and you know they just really never seemed to get in a rhythm on offense noah yeah and you know first of all thank you to the weather gods because i could get up there and see this game in person i wasn't supposed to be able to make it but this was an end-to-end victory for cornell they never fell behind they came out. They were more aggressive. Josh Warren stepped out and, and banged a couple of threes early. That dragged out Richmond to Ririguzo. Josh Warren had 18 points, 10 rebounds, a big-time two-handed jam. He fouled out late in the contest, but it was pretty much decided by that point. And I thought Jimmy Beheim let everybody else get involved before he took over and had his 24 points. I was talking to Coach Earl Bill before the game, and he was saying he showed his team – the tape and said, look, our offense is getting us open shots, but we need to be more aggressive. And I thought that the way Josh Warren and Terrence McBride came out was a lot more aggressive. Terrence McBride late took Princeton down low, got an and one that pretty much sealed the deal. And the play of the season for the Cornell Big Red, a behind-the-back dime, and then Jimmy Beheim with the two-handed jam and transition, the exclamation point. Yeah, I, I think that was – Definitely the best game Cornell's played all season long. Like you said, uh, a, a total effort. And I'm just, I love watching Jimmy Beheim as he has developed because he really does have like that game that, that can translate at, as like a 45 year old at the Y, you know, he's a creative scorer, but then he has explosiveness that kind of surprises you. I mentioned the two handed slam. I think like some people see Jimmy Beheim and, and they think of Jimmy as who was a skinny kid as a freshman and maybe not the most explosive guy. He can get up above the rim now too. He, he's really uh, turned himself into a better athlete on top of developing his, his game. And added a lot of strength, Bill. And what that does for you is that drives early in his career where you have to pick it up he's able to push through and get all the way to the bucket and the same with his post game but he's just his game's grown so impressively over the last you know two seasons especially into this season you know Cornell loses their all-time leading scorer they lose Stone Gettings to a transfer a lot of uh points that were missing and Jimmy Bayham had to step up this year and he definitely has yeah, he's been great and Cornell's worked their way right back into the conversation here heading into the middle weekend of the season we've played six games we have eight more to go and, and here's how things stand in the league Yale and Princeton at five and one Penn and Brown at four and two Quakers quietly have really put things together they've won four straight in Ivy League play as well Brown also winning four in a row so both those teams bouncing back from zero and two starts Harvard currently on the outside looking in three and three, but again, those three losses by a combined five points. Cornell still within two games of fourth place. They're at two and four, though they did lose to Penn on the uh, second game of the weekend after that win against Princeton. Columbia at one and five and Dartmouth at 0 and six. Both those teams would need to string a lot of wins together here to uh, start to get back into the conversation. 
And uh, I think, no, that means we've got some really important and really fun games on tap this weekend. Let's start with what's maybe the game of the year so far in the Ivy League, and that's Yale Princeton, both teams at, at five and one. They'll play at 7 p.m. on ESPN News Friday night. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to see who dictates the pace and the tempo of this game. Well, I'm also excited because I'm doing that game on ESPN News, Bill. So I'm double excited. And I'll tell you what, this is the game that could decide so much in the Ivy League. It could be the game that decides the Ivy League championship. It could be the game that decides the Ivy League player of the year. When you talk about two big guys that I think are in that conversation, Paul Atkinson, who's been sensational all year long, so consistent, scoring, rebounding, shooting an incredibly high percentage from the field, and then Richmond Ariri Guzzo. I think it all starts inside with those two. Who's going to win the battle early? Who's going to be able to stay out of foul trouble? And then how is Yale going to double Richmond inside? And then how is Princeton going to potentially double Paul Atkinson? Yeah, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, those matchups that you mentioned. And on top of that, uh, I'm curious if you think is Princeton, would, would you imagine if they have it their way, they're going to try and slow this game down, maybe play it more in the, the tempo of the 50s or the 60s? Because my, my read on paper is that uh, Yale has a little bit more scoring depth and would, would like to play this game at a faster pace. Yeah, I don't think so, Bill. I, I really think that both... Both these teams and both these coaches have kind of moved beyond the era of, you know, possession basketball, slow it down, and they've opened it up and they've really empowered their players to make decisions. And both sides have so many playmakers. I mean, you think about Ethan Wright for Princeton, Ryan Schwieger, who can operate from the mid post, from the outside and from the post, and then Jalen Llewellyn, who's a dynamic guard. And on the other side, you've got Eric Monroe, the consummate playmaker. We've talked about Azar Swain. You know, the 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 key might be those counter punches inside. <clears throat> Excuse me. Drew Freiberg and Jerome DeRossier for Princeton were huge off the bench at Columbia in their bounce back win, cutting without the basketball. They both were in double figures. But I really expect this game to be played up in the 80s. I don't think that either team wants to take the air out of the ball. They want to make this a a game where you let your great players step up and make plays. Both sides just have too much talent to slow this thing down. All right. Well, I'm, I hope it's a game like that. Those are the, those are the most fun games to watch, and uh, I'm really excited, especially excited knowing Noah's going to be be on the call. But uh, uh, should be a great one. Should be a great one on Friday night. Another really good one, only about an hour or so away, is Brown Penn. Both teams have won four in a row. They play Friday night. And I know we've talked some about Brown and how they've gotten things going. We haven't mentioned Penn much this week yet, other than the fact that they've won four in a row. What What do you think has been key to, to Penn getting things turned around after dropping those two to Princeton at the start of the year? Well, I think that the, the matchup, I, I think Princeton's won 12 out of the last 14 against Penn. So that particular matchup might be unique. It might be a little bit out of the, the norm, but the way they were able to get it done, three-point win at the Palestra against Harvard, then they were able to win a very slow game, 54-46 against Dartmouth. It shows you kind of how they can win in multiple ways. And they've won close. I mean, they've really done a good job of executing down the stretch, of knocking down free throws late down the stretch. And, you know, they have leaders. I mean, they just have leaders. When you look at A.J. Broder, Devin Goodman, uh, have seen it all. I mean, you're just not going to, like, you're you're not going to rattle those guys, whether they're down late or up late. It starts with the leadership. And then Jordan Dingle has been the most impressive freshman in the league. He's sensational. He He's so much more explosive than people probably know around the country. I mean, he has 
NBA level first step and leaping ability. And I'm excited to see, even though I know they're slightly different in terms of size and build, two guys in AJ Broder and Dominic show that just do so much for their team and have so many different and unique skills. I, I think uh, those are two guys who are on the all Swiss army knife team, along with guys like Justin Bassey in this league. And uh, uh, they'll, they'll both, you know, uh, make some big plays in key situations for their team. Whoever wins that game puts themselves in much more comfortable position towards solidifying Ivy madness spot. The loser of that game most likely ends up being right back there duking it out with with Harvard for that fourth spot in the in the Ivy setup. Yeah, and another guy we probably didn't mention enough is the freshman Max Martz, who's a great three point shooter, but but he was able to last time out against Cornell, seventeen points, and he only hit one three. So his game has expanded, and the fact that they're able to add him into the mix, you're getting that balanced scoring with four and potentially five guys who can get up into double figures. All right, and then finally, Noah, it's it's a crucial weekend for Harvard coming off that heartbreaker against Brown. Harvard at home against both Columbia and Cornell. And we know it as we go through the Ivy League, it's so important to defend home court. It's really tough to win on the road in the Ivy League, but you can't afford to give home games away, particularly for Harvard now on the outside looking in. Uh, if, if you're Tommy Amaker this week as your team's getting ready, coming off these three losses by a total of five points, what's the message you're trying to to give your group that is dealing with, you know, a type of struggle they haven't had to deal with in, in the time that any of these guys have been on campus. Well, I'm not worried about their mentality because they've got a great leader in Tommy Amaker. They've got a great coaching staff and they have a great culture. So when you rely on a great culture, you're able to deal with the tough times as well as all the championships, all the success they've had. But in terms of X's and O's against Columbia, I think the blueprint was laid out a little bit uh, in the Princeton game because Mike Smith got 30, but nobody else could really get going. He took a lot of shots. He took 25 out of the 61 shots, still a large percentage of the shots, and you know only three assists. He averages about four and a half assists a game. I think the, the way to try to beat Columbia, and it might not work because he's that good, is play him one-on-one. -on -one. Don't overhelp. Don't let him get a kick out to Jake Killingsworth, to Randy Brumont, to guys like Jack Forrest who can really shoot it. Let him... Go one-on-one, -on -one, don't overhelp. And in Harvard, you've got a number of guys who can match up with him, whether it's Ju Zhang or whether it's Justin Bassey or some of the other guards. All right, well, it's going to be a really fun weekend and a huge weekend in the race for the Ivy. I think this might be one of the tightest years we've ever had since the Ivy League went to this four teams make Ivy Madness format. And, you know, Harvard is the host this year, certainly hoping to play their way back into the tournament. Noah and I will be back next week to break all this weekend down, get you ready for another week of back-to-backs coming up. All right, when we come back, Noah and Megan will be with me, and we'll have uh, the things you need to know as you head toward the water cooler at work this week. Uh, that and more as we wind things down here on the road to Ivy Madness. All right, Megan and Noah both back in with me, Bill Spaulding, as we wrap things up here on the road to Ivy Madness. It is time for our uh, things you should be talking about around the water cooler this week. Uh, Megan, how about you lead us off? Yeah, you know, I, I cannot really get around it. And sometimes I say, hey, you know, Princeton women's basketball, we talk about them all the time, but that's because they're playing at such a high level. And, you know, when you're good and when you're great, you got to talk about it. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about Princeton. And what I want to highlight, Bill, two things today. One, Princeton will continue my campaign for them being ranked in the top 25. This past week, they received 46 votes, the most for first place. And so hopefully next week, we'll see them pop back into the rankings. I think it's 17 and one undefeated in their conference. Um, there is, again, no reason. Someone please make the case 
for why they should be omitted. I have not heard a sound argument yet. Um, so Princeton basketball just playing exceptionally well, and I'm still beating the drum for a top 25 ranking. I don't think we can beat that drum loud enough. It blows my mind, especially when you see some of the other uh, leagues in college basketball are a little bit down this year. And, and it is a year where there is a lot of parity on the women's side. Uh, no reason why Princeton shouldn't be in the top 25. All right, my water cooler this week is uh, looking toward the men's side of things and just want to focus again on how close last weekend was and how close the teams are matched up this year in the Ivy League. So last weekend, eight games, six of them decided by single digits, three decided by two points or less, two decided by just a single point. Uh, Harvard has played just a bevy of close, close games. Over the last couple of weekends, Harvard has lost in overtime to Penn. They've lost by one to Princeton. They've beaten Yale by a point, and they have fallen by a point to Brown on a play right at the end of the game. Uh, you know, you look at the Ivy League standings, and it is a hodgepodge right now because these teams are so evenly matched. Um, it's going to be a really fun last month sprinting down to the wire, and I think there are going to be some serious surprises just because these teams are matched up so tightly. All right, Noah, Professor Savage, uh, floor is yours for the, the water cooler. Well, I got to go back to what we were talking about before with Harvard. And if you look at the, the race for the fourth spot, you've got Brown would currently be in Ivy Madness. Harvard would be out. I think everybody around the league is a little bit stunned right now. And Cornell is surging. So that fourth place uh, race is just as exciting as the Ivy League championship race. So if you're standing around the water cooler, just bring that up. Who's going to get in? Brown, Harvard, Cornell. And don't count out Columbia or Dartmouth. All right, that wraps things up here on the Road to Ivy Madness. Reminder that you can subscribe to The Perch wherever you get your podcast. New episode coming every Wednesday leading up through Ivy Madness and the opening round of the NCAA tournament. For Noah Savage, Megan Perry, I'm Bill Spaulding saying so long. Enjoy your weekend of Ivy Hoops.